Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. As we are having the offering received today, I'm going to present uh, a big portion of our text today in video fashion. It's a little bit longer than usual, and it's a little different expression. Um, and so I hope that as that's expressed that you will um, get to a, a bit of a grounding as to where we're going to be going here today. All right? Father, we come before you, and with thanksgiving, everything we have comes from you, God. There's not one thing we have, not one thought or talent, rather, any good thing that comes uh, around. It comes from you. So we pause in the midst of all the other worship just to give to you that tithe, that 10% in return to you, that offering, that above and beyond that we just feel led to give. And we release these things into your hands. We pray they'd be used for your purposes with wisdom and integrity. In Jesus' name, amen. And now our text. The serpent, snake, was the savviest of all of the creatures in the creator's perfect planet. The reptile surveyed the scene with keen snake eyes. Streetwise, armed with an arsenal of plausible lies, he slithered up to Eve, the woman, from her blind side. Preserving the element of surprise. And he said, Hello, child. How was your day? I overheard your conversation. I just had one simple question. Exactly what did the creator say? That thing about the tree, the evil and the good, how do you know that you understood? Did he really say what you think you heard? Maybe your mind twisted up the words. Did he say hands off all the plants? Don't look, don't touch, don't taste. What a waste that would be. Eve, the woman, pointed out the tree with the taboo, the tree of the knowing the good and evil too. She told the snake that God had made it drop dead clear that everything else was free, every other tree. But if they took one tiny taste of the fruit of this particular one, they would absolutely, positively crash and burn. Ah, said the snake faking genuine concern. The deity's afraid of what you're gonna learn. With just one bite, 
you'll be just like him. Eyes wide open, knowing the heights of what humans can do, knowing the depths, the despicable too. God would have no tactical advantage over you. You and your man could have the run of the place, total control over the food you eat, the life you live, the path you choose. With just one small bite, you could gain the whole green world. And that means that God of yours would lose. The woman Eve walked closer and closer to the tree. She sniffed and felt the fruit against her cheek. Totally wise with open eyes, she said. What's wrong with that? Maybe my man and I were born for this. Born to know, born to control, born to rule. She swallowed hard and it was done. She gave some to her covenant partner, Adam. He opened his mouth and gobbled it down and the universe was silent. was the cool part of the day and God was walking, walking through the land he made, his ecosystem so magnificently put together, about to erode, about to implode before his sad and timeless eyes. He took one long last look and kiss the innocence goodbye Adam where you hiding son Eve girl what have you done Around. It's broken now. Under a curse. From bad to worse. Now your eyes are wise and clear. Now you know shame. Now you know fear. Now you know you're naked. Now you run for cover. Well, here's what's gonna happen. Life will be shorter. Pain will be greater. Work be harder, grinding it out by the sweat on your brow, the blood on your hands, Eve and Adam, even the bond you have will now be strained, slightly off, distorted, reframed. And as for you, reptile snake, Adam will crush your head, you will strike and bite his heel, you will feel the weight of the consequences of what you've done for he looked them in the eye with a sigh. It's broken now, he said. 
and a serpent. He just smiled. We've shown this clip before. I still think it's one of the most powerful uh, renditions of um, illustrating the scripture that uh, you can come across. And we've talked about the fall of man even in this series. Today, I want to take you through the backstory, though, if you will, the origin story um, of even that event. Um, in the film, The Usual Suspects, there's a police detective that he struggles to find the cause of a wave of unspeakable violent crime and corruption that's terrorizing the city. A string of clues increasingly seem to illuminate the outline of a wickedly cruel and powerful genius of foreign origin. His name is Kaiser Sosa. He's the evil root of all these things. Problem is that the detective's main source of intelligence about this brilliant sociopath is a half-wit, invalid snitch named Verbal. Ironically, now today, played by Kevin Spacey. The shadowy figure that Verbal describes seems far too clever, powerful, and dramatic to be real. Verbal rejoins with this. He says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Eventually disgusted that he's wasting his time listening to the stupid invalid's crazy stories. The detective sends Verbal on his way, only to realize moments too late that all along, the simpleton sitting in his office was actually Kaiser Sosa himself. Let's suppose for a second that there was a malevolent intelligence eager to spoil people's lives and draw them away from God. Could you come up with a better first strategy for reducing people's resistance to that influence than to propagate a caricature of yourself? A character that's so melodramatic, so ridiculous, that most thinking people would write you off and embrace only secular approaches to addressing human struggles. Could you devise a better second strategy than to get a group of people to be so obsessed with looking for signs of your presence that they neglected to witness to God's love, to take responsibility for their own sins, or to address creatively the hurts of the world. In his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The devil themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail or lift up a materialist or a magician, a secularist or a fanatic with the same delight. So one of the questions today I have for you is, what is it that you believe in regards to evil? Now, when I looked and did a quick search in regards to just the term Lucifer, because that's one of the, the real original names of Satan or the devil, whatever term you want to use here, I, I punched into Google, and the first thing that came up was a full page devoted to one thing, a television show a series focusing on, quote, Lucifer Morning Star, a handsome and powerful angel who was cast out of heaven for his rebellion. As the devil, Lucifer tires of the millennia he spent being the Lord of hell, punishing people, becoming increasingly bored and unhappy with his life in hell. He abdicates his throne in defiance of his father, God, which is really not theologically right, and abandons his kingdom for Los Angeles. <laughs> which is, of course, just logical. Um, 
had to be either L.A. or New York. Had to be one of the two. Um, so this is what is the, the first thing that comes up, and it's literally the full page. I had to go to the next click or so to get to the next pages or so. Scripture paints an extremely different picture of this character. Um, he's referred to as the ruler of this world. He's referred to as the father of lies. Three primary names come up. Lucifer's the first one, and Lucifer means light-bringing. Interesting, light-bringing. Another phrase is son of the morning, the morning light. That's his original name, it appears. He also, though, then eventually becomes known as Satan, which means the accuser or the adversary or the prosecutor. The other term is devil, which means the same thing, accuser, but with a little twist, slanderer. It literally means to throw across, so it's to toss out things that slanders or tears down another person. Realize when we gossip, when we slander, we're right in line with where this guy is at. Now, the term devil is also sometimes defined as diabolical. That's where we draw that phrase from, diabolical. It means literally devil-like. When you look into and you try to explore and get an understanding of, of, of who Lucifer is, interestingly enough, we're drawn to two prophets, Ezekiel and Isaiah. The first one with Ezekiel um, is kind of an interesting passage, and it's in the 28th chapter, and I'm going to break this down as we go along, and I, I have to warn you today, we're, it's, I know it's Sunday, but we're going to read a lot of scripture, okay? Um, and if you brought your Bible, you should mark it as we go along. If you didn't, consider bringing it in the future. It can be of help to you, okay? The thing we find out in Ezekiel chapter 28, the first thing that jumps out at you is this. Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre. That's T-Y-R-E, not Michelin, okay? T-Y-R-E. So the king of Tyre was up the coast. They were Phoenicians. They were big-time sailors, big-time merchants. They went all around uh, the known world at that time and a little bit beyond it, actually. Uh, and they had a lot of arrogance and a lot of pride and a lot of wealth. And so it's, it's, it's saying, son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre. How does this have to do with our subject? And say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection. Now, that doesn't make sense. How is the king of Tyre the seal of perfection? That's kind of an authoritative thing, but it's also a perfect thing. And the next line, it even gets more strange. Full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Okay, what's going on here now is a prophetic style that's also reflected in Isaiah. He's talking about the king of Tyre. It's a prophecy against him, but he's going deeper behind what's motivating the king. Who is the king emulating? Who is there, or what is the spiritual force driving the king to do what he's doing? In this case, it's spelling out. It's Lucifer. And so he's saying, you were the seal of perfection. You had authority. You were full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. That's what Lucifer was. You were in Eden, as we just saw. I mean, that's exactly what happened. In the garden of God. Goes on, says, every precious stone was your covering. And it lists all the stones. And there's a reason for that. So you had this covering of these brilliant stones. It's, it's a beauty type thing. So there's this beautiful covering of stones. But these stones aren't just beautiful and reflective. These same stones are the same ones that were put into a breastplate that the priest before God would wear, the high priest would wear. So there's a, a spiritual connotation along with the beauty and attraction to this. There's some depth of spirit about this. It says, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. 
You know who Lucifer was? Lucifer was a worship leader. Possibly and very probably the chief worship leader in heaven. He had an artistic flair. To this day, some of our greatest artists have been some of our most tortured people at times. The brilliance of their artistry caught up at the same times with what can be pride or arrogance or even madness at times. Lucifer was creative. He was this worship leader in heaven. And that says, you were the anointed cherub who covers. Whoa. The cherub was a specific type of angel whose wings covered the throne of God. If you've ever seen a symbol of the Ark of the Covenant, okay, then you might have seen where these angels are bent forward with their wings facing each other covering. Those are cherubs. And they were specific ones that cover the throne of God. And so he wasn't just an angel. He was one of those guardian cherubs who covers. He says, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth. We're clearly not talking about the king of Tyre at this point. We're talking about the influence behind him. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. Could be fiery stones, but, but seraphim, another type of angelic being, are listed as the fiery ones or, or, or flaming ones. And so it could be that he walked amongst the seraphim along with what he did. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. This guy was brilliant. He was beautiful. He was creative. He was artistic. He was in the, the core element of, of God. He leads worship. You were perfect until iniquity was found in you. And we don't know how this happened, what, where, but somewhere something takes place. And it says this strange line kind of harkens back to Tyre or to Tyre at this point in time when it says, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within Again, I said that Tyre was a trading place. They were known for their deceptive practices and for their deeply competitive ways. They would cut your throat and cheat you at a whim because their main thing was to get ahead and to gain profit. That was their big thing. They were capitalism gone crazy. And this is the same thing here, that, that Satan or Lucifer has this competitive element. He wants to be better than everybody else. He's going to get ahead by whatever means he wants to, but he has this need to achieve more than the next. And that says you became filled with violence within. We know from other passages and revelations and elsewheres that he actually managed to go into rebellion and he convinces one-third of the angels to join him in his rebellion. And what madness is this that they think you have a chance against God? Their arrogance and their blindness, their pride, that's what does it. That they thought they had a chance so filled with violence within, and you sin, you rebelled. We underplay rebellion in this society any longer. It used to be a terrible thing to rebel or to betray. Now, it's the main storyline of a lot of our key television programs today on cable. There's a certain twisted delight to see the, the, the character we thought was good and bright and, and nice to suddenly have a twisted amoral thing and murder their friend or betray their king or, or kill a lover. Somehow, that, that's just there's a pornographic element to that that catches us. This is a satanic influence at its core. Rebellion against God. 
This has entered into our society in more ways than one. And there's parts of this I'll touch on briefly. But there's, there's this. And I touch briefly because otherwise you'll make a big deal out of it beyond this. We have said increasingly in our society, even down to the most basic core of who we are, to say, you don't decide, you creator who made me. You don't decide. You don't tell me who I am. I decide who I am. I will make that decision and call. Nobody has control over my spirit, my thoughts, my body, my, my, anything whatsoever to do with things. It's a rebellion that ultimately is against God more than anything else and has led to much of the confusion we see today. With all that happening, it's, God goes on and says, Therefore I cast you as a profane thing. You were so beautiful, you became something ugly, something, something profane. Out of the mountain of God, I cast you, and I destroyed you. And there's a sad tone here. Oh, covering cherub. You were the ones that covered. You were close. You were there. Oh, covering cherub. I destroyed you from the midst of the fire stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. It got twisted mentally and spiritually. Because of all these other things, so I cast you to the ground, and all who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You've become a horror and shall be no more forever. There's a point in time where um, Satan is going to be completely cast down. He's been cast down from heaven, but he's got a lot more casting down to do before uh, things are finished. And we'll talk about that at a different time. And so there's this casting down. Now, why is it that, that he got casted down? Um, there's questions about that. Um, one of the theories is that, that there was something about mankind's creation that set him off. There was something about this creature that is, that is um, just a little bit lower in dignity than the angels and yet is going to be ministered to by angels in the present and in the future is going to actually be above the angels. And, it, and there's a thinking that there's something about that that completely is like, you're going to do what? You're going to take... Our holy realm, you're going to take this beauty, you're going to, and you're going to let this creature of dirt inhabit this for eternity and be above who? And that seems to have been a trigger of some type for him. And in that trigger, he slips into the garden at the most inopportune time and engages the first daughter of God. Now, let's put a pin in that for a moment because there's more because this isn't the only prophet that addresses. Like I said, Isaiah also speaks to this and gives us some sense of the tragedy involved. And Isaiah chapter 14 is again a, a statement against a current king, the king of Babylon. But as we listen to language, again, we catch that he's actually talking about the spirit that is behind the king of Babylon, the one that is moving him and manipulating him, the one he's emulating. And so in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, he said, how are you fallen from heaven? Now, talking about a king here. Oh, Lucifer, son of the morning. And again, we said that term, Lucifer, means light bringing or it means son of the morning. In other words, as the morning is breaking loose, you are the son of that. You're, you inhabit, you're somehow part of that glorious upbringing and uprising. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, this is where the sin began, was in the heart before the actions. It says, I will ascend into heaven. And there's these four, five willful statements 
that are self-centered, egotistical statements saying, I will. You don't tell me what to do. I will. I will ascend into heaven. It's as if Satan was saying, heaven will be my home and it'll be my place of honor. I'm going to occupy it. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be enthroned and will be exalted above all other angelic beings. Above the peers. I'll also sit on the mount of the congregation. I'll sit in the place of glory and honor and attention. All of it's going to be on me. I'll ascend above the heights. I'll continue to rise even beyond heaven until all see me in my bright shining glory and see me for who I am. I'll be like the most high. I'll be glorious and be set equal to God far above all other created beings. He seeks to take the glory of God. Of all the things I've seen in the church in recent times, I think this has been by far the most disturbing. I see leader after leader taking the glory that's to be God for their own, becoming sources of attraction or celebrityism. I know you can't right now see my feet because my shoes are on. For your sake, I will leave them there. But if I took them off, you would see that my feet are very much made of clay. We do not follow a person. We follow Christ. We can honor those who have roles and responsibilities, and we can recognize that. But when that glory which is God is taken by an individual, we are more like Lucifer than practically any other moment of time that we can find. There'll be a time that I will not pastor this church anymore. There'll be a time when that's not going to be my role. But I still follow God. And you still follow God. We don't get caught up with people. Lucifer sees himself as this great thing that should be lifted up above and beyond anybody else. And that's how he views himself. And he's going to take on the very glory of God. He's, he, he's great. He's wonderful. He's got shining gems. He's got priestly efforts. He's got a creative and artistic ability. He glows. He's brilliant. He's truly a great and powerful and wonderful, incredible being that if we saw him in that moment of time, we would have in our humanness fallen down and tried to worship him. And then he reaches for that one more thing, lift me up above others, equal to God. That that reminds me of another passage of scripture. I don't know if you've heard this one. I, 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 I want to make sure that this is in, that you understand. This is in contrast to what we've just heard. So here's Satan. All these things, Lucifer, reaching for what he's reaching for. And this is our Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, actually is in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human, dirt-like likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he what? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
It is a strange paradox, one writer says, that nothing makes a being less like God than the urge to be his equal. For he who was God stepped down from the throne of his glory to display to the wondering eyes of men the humility of God. The humility of God. Why did Lucifer rebel? We don't know for sure, but like you said, most likely it's because he saw the, these beings made in God's image that we were going to be beneath the angels in dignity, yet would be served by angels in the presence, and one day we're going to be lifted in honor and status above the angels, and Satan wanted to be the highest on that. All that could be the case. Either way, he sees that, and he is disturbed by it. Now, let me, let me say this to you. How many of you are parents today? I've had people come against me. When you're in a role of leadership, you have controversies, you have adversaries, it just happens. I've had some of those that when it comes at me, I'm able to deal with it directly because it's right directly in front of me. And I can be aggressive or release it depending on the circumstances. There's other things you never get a chance to because they're said out of your hearing and that's just the stuff that goes on. It's the slander that rides out. All those things hurt. I'm just honest with you. They hurt. I'm not that thick-skinned enough that, that especially some of those things that are close friends at times, that hurts. But I want to tell you what really hurts, and any parent's going to tell you the same. You come after me, that's one thing. I can accept or I can reject or I can respond, whatever the way. But you go after my kids. Parents, is that true? You go after our kids. That's a different issue. And that's happened in times past. And, 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 and you can't do anything about those things at times. There's a special hurt with that because it, you know that it's, it's your kid. There's something about that that's like, okay, come at me, but don't go at my kid. Now, just so you know, there's nothing currently happening. All right, chill, all right? <laughs> but what I'm just saying is you do that. So here's what's happening. Satan can't get at God, but he can get at his kids. And that's what the whole garden was about. That's the backstory of what the fall was about. Lucifer made his play and he lost, like he thought he even didn't have a chance. So he loses that. But but he has a, a, a page two. And that's to go after God's kids. After you, after me. And that's exactly what he did. So he pursues you. He pursues me today. Why? Because you matter to God. Who you are matters to God. You are being made in the image of God. And you have intrinsic value. Satan knows that. So he wants to do everything to confuse you. He wants to do everything to tempt you. He wants to do everything to disrupt every aspect of your, of your life. Pride is the number one thing that drives that. And it works within us as well too. And as this struggle goes on that we're in of this world, we need to remember what is behind the struggle. And that's why Ephesians chapter 6 is so important. It says, put on the full armor of God that so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. In other words, the king of Tyre is a problem, but he's not the real problem. The king of Babylon is a problem, but he's not the real problem. What's happening is what's motivating those individuals, what's behind those individuals. 
The individual who's dealing with sexual identity and confusion is not the issue. It's what's driving that behind them. The person in your household that's causing disruption, they are not the issue. It's what's driving that. The person in your workplace that is causing massive confusion is not the issue. It's what's behind that. Now, we have to deal with what is in front, but we would ne- must never forget what is motivating. Nancy Pelosi is not Satan. She only works for him. No, no, you don't. Don't you dare. Do you not dare? Do you not dare? And you keep that live stream going because I'll say this. Donald Trump is not Satan. He only works for him. Now, have I offended enough of you sufficiently? I want you to understand that neither of those characters or neither of the politics, but, oh, we're going to walk, we cut the live stream right here and we just know that he's a raging freaking liberal. Oh, no, we just know that he's, he's a Christian nationalist that's just out to suppress everyone with his religious... I'm a Christian. And I'll not be slave to left or right. Nor will I hate left or right because I understand what's behind them. Do you? Do you? We're to be the children of God. We recognize that our origin story is in a fallen nature. All of us. I can't walk with arrogance on anything. We walk in humility. We walk in brokenness. We read in 1 Peter 5, 6, that therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Or, or in Mark 9, 35, if anyone desires to be first, Jesus says he'll be last of all and the servant of all. We follow our master, Jesus, not our tormentor, Satan. And both of those characters I mentioned may or may not work for Satan. And you can list a whole bunch of other people behind that. But I will say that anyone who causes division, confusion, evil, and sin, there's a motivating element behind them, and it's not God. Unless we fixate on that and fixate on that person and then condemn them for that, that's what's called demonizing someone. When you attribute to them demonic elements, because when you demonize them, you dehumanize them. And if I demonize someone enough, that I dehumanize someone enough, that I can say or do anything to that person I want because they're not really human after all, are they? They're just an animal a tool of Satan. So I can justify any slander, any lie, any hatred, and any violence that I want. And then I look in the mirror and I see Lucifer and he just smiles. We're so quick to hate so slow to love. When I see that clip, it almost always makes me want to weep because we look at the world that was and we look at the world that is and we know, we know this is not how it was supposed to be. This is not how it was supposed to be. And so we see this enemy, this Satan, this individual, this Lucifer, who in John 8 Jesus says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, 
not holding the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar. He's a father of lies. Don't deal in lies. Search out the truth before you pass on and, and post something or click something, please. Because when you do that, you're just contributing to the, to the lies and confusion that exist. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus goes on and says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He's saying, Satan, I have come that they may have life and may have it to the full. That's why he came. A whole different reason. So if we were to go back as we began in that passage of Genesis, as we began there, let's read this one portion out. Because he curses the serpent. And he says at one time the serpent must have had wings. There must have been something beautiful about him. Because he says you're going to crawl on your belly. You're going to eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. And this is Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. It's being said here right at the beginning of the fall. God's already making plans for our redemption. He says, look at Satan, you're, you're going to bruise him on the heel. It'll look like something serious, but he's going to shake that one off. But you know what? He's going to crush your head, and you ain't shaking that off. You're done with that. And this is what Jesus came for. We've all fallen down. There's a tension between men and women. There's a confusion of identity. There's hard work. There's trial. There's tribulation. There's disease. There's accidents. All these things happen But in the midst of it, God has a plan of redemption. One of the main things that Satan uses is fear. His lies, yes, but his fear. And oh my goodness, here comes the worship leader. <laughs> Except that he's one of the good guys. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. It's birthday, let's treat him nice. One of the main things Satan uses is fear. He terrorizes. Remember, not believing in the, in the devil is one thing, but being fixated. Oh, he's, he's under everything. He's, he's manipulating my actions. He's doing everything, and, and, and I'll do it. And one little girl, one time, she, she trips her brother and, and spits on him. And, and the, the mom says, oh, you shouldn't do that. And, and the devil made you do that. And the little girl says, well, I don't know, Mom. I think the devil made me trip him, but I, I came up with spitting on him all by myself. That was my thing. <laughs> And so we get fixated and we blame him for other things or we get fearful and wrapped up. And, and, and that's not the way to deal with these things. And, and so this is one of the final things I want to leave you with here is this. First Peter chapter 5, 8 says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And you say, that's a really bizarre thing to throw out, Randy, in regards to fear because this is scary stuff. You're saying he's like a roaring lion. He's going to, he's, you know, that, how's that deal with fear? Years ago when I was in Kenya, I saw a lion about as far as, as about the midway of that aisle there from me. I was in a vehicle at the time and he was lying down and I was watching this beast, magnificent beast in his, in his habitat, open sky and area and everything else. And I'm thinking, wow, that's fantastic. And he just stayed there. He just, he must just had lunch. He was just laying out there just staring at me and all like that, and that was cool. But I guarantee you, if that thing had suddenly turned up and gotten up on his horse and growled and, and, and roared at me, I would have said, let's move this vehicle along. Okay? But years ago, my father spoke a message that I've never forgotten. 
And in there, he raised out a real true illustration that when these lions go in packs, the oldest one, the one who is actually toothless and the least harmful of all of them, is of no use in the hunt. He has another role. That lion goes on one side of the herd, and he starts roaring as loud as he can to make his presence known while the real killers of the flock, the real killers of the pride of lions, come around the other way, and they quietly lay in wait. And as the animals are spooked by that roaring, toothless, pretty useless lion, they run right smack dab into the jaws of the killers. So when you read this passage, he's a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You need to realize this lion, in, 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 the, in the faith of the believer, is toothless. And so the message title of that I'll never forget was Run to the Roar. You don't run away. You run. You face Satan. You say, you have no power over me. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I have been saved by his grace, and you have no power over me. Amen. We run to the roar. There is nothing to be fearful of. In fact, it's at that time that you read all of Ephesians out, the entire thing. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Now, i got to tell you right now, the, the, the spirit of Bishop Herapus is coming upon me right now. <laughs> there is an enemy of your soul and mine. He is real. He started off as this beautiful, it's a tragic story, this beautiful angel of light right next to God's throne a worship leader in the assembly, a spiritual authority. But there was a pride. There was an arrogance. There was a need to elevate himself. And so he moves in rebellion. And then he goes after the one thing that God values the most. That's you. That's me. So he tempts and corrupts and twists and tears. But God had an answer to that too. And he didn't leave us alone. So God comes in the flesh with humility, with brokenness, the antithesis to the Luciferic ways. And everything that Satan meant to take and destroy and kill, all the things he meant to do, Christ comes and by the power of the cross and his grace, he overcomes it. Even now, with whatever you're facing, whatever circumstances you're in, God is working even now to redeem that situation. And what you thought was going to be this is going to be something else because greater is he that is in you. I'm not sure you heard that. I said, greater is he that is in you Amen. than he that's in the world. Realize this enemy's real. But realize, you have a strength that can overcome that and he's not to be feared. So, let us pray. Father, we come before you, our Father, our Heavenly Father. We bring our brokenness, we bring our foolishness, we bring our, our ignorance, we bring all these things to you, Lord God.
We recognize this day that there's an enemy of our souls, but we also recognize that there is a lover of our soul and that it is you. God, your work on the cross, it was meant to roll back all of this garbage. It was meant to redeem what was lost, to take that which is most precious to you. You, God, you're simply amazing. So this morning, Lord, in light of this teaching, in light of this origin story behind the origin story, we pause. We pause and we allow your spirit right now, I ask in this moment of time, to redeem our thoughts, our hearts, our minds, to recover our very spirit in this moment of time and lift it up in Jesus' name. Years ago, when I was in graduate school, we had an intense conversation in one class one time. It was about grace. And the question was, could Satan, could Lucifer ever become saved? And like, well, we came down to the conclusion if grace is grace, then anyone can be redeemed, right? But the conclusion was that he never would. That it could be available, but he never would lower himself. He never would humble himself. He would never do that. Those of us who are followers of Christ, we've done that. And if you haven't, I welcome you in this opportunity. Not a big moment, but just you humble yourself. You sit here and say, yeah, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I've been influenced by this garbage. I'm, I'm the problem. I am the problem. And then you, you really get discussed with that, and you turn over to God and say, I, 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 I surrender it to you. You accept that God came in the flesh, the antithesis of Satan, humble and broken to heal and restore. And you believe that, and you embrace that, and ask forgiveness. And then you start to live your life based on Scripture to the best that you can with the Spirit of God alongside you. That's what it is. Satan never would do that. And sadly enough, there's a whole bunch of humans that won't either. But those in this room, to a large part, have. And whether you're on stream today or in the atrium or present here, if you've not made that call or decision, you can do that too and be a part of this. Your call. That's the really twisted thing about free will. You decide. Don't forget, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Father, we thank you for your grace. I thank you for your word. I thank you give us an understanding and a knowledge of what we face, but no fear and the ability to overcome it and stand our ground. So God, I pray grace upon this congregation. I pray grace to all that hear this message today that they'd be strengthened and encouraged to stand and also that we'd look at others, especially difficult people in our life, that we'd look at them differently. We may still be in conflict, but we can look past and see what's driving behind that and not demonize those individuals or dehumanize them. We commit these things into your hands in Jesus' name and the church said.